My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. Hi, everybody. So this episode is the beginning of a few interviews with the people on the East Coast. And so there's some heavy topics coming your way. So we wanted to just put out a warning before we start. Um, we talk about some heavy stuff, suicide, eating disorders, um, lots of other stuff. So if you are triggered by that or like not in the mood for it, maybe skip this episode or wait until you're ready for it. Um, and Tony and I also made a new website. Check uh, it out. Check it out. It's uh, com. So P-O-D. Check out our pictures. You can see our episodes. Yeah, see go to all. our photo gallery. Resources. Uh, yeah, we got some resources on there too. So um, check it out and uh, we hope you enjoy. We have a guest today. And we are very eager to hear her very interesting, very moving story. Um, we met Joanne through this uh, amazing experience of building the podcast and finding our friends. And um, we really wanted to have Joanne on to share her story. She's our first um, East Coast member, right? She is our first East Coast ah, member. So welcome yeah. from the East Coast. Joanne was baptized in New Jersey in June of 2010, and she stayed for nine years until 2019. So, um, yeah, thank you, Joanne, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, do you just want to kind of tell us the beginning story of how you got involved and how did you come yeah. to find this crazy church? Oh, my gosh. Um, I was entering my senior year of college um I would say I was definitely at a crossroad in my life where it's like I'm about to graduate what do I do in my life um I had just ended like a very serious relationship um I went to a Jesuit college so I was always kind of thinking about God and all that um so anyways I was approached by these two young men in I think it was like by Times Square or Penn Station, something in, in New York City. And they were like, hey, we're having free Bible studies. And um, they did 
can I say God the mother? <laughs> they they did um, mention God the mother, which to me was, um, you know, I had lost my mom when I was a teenager. And to me, it was like a fascinating thing to know about. Um, and I think it was even more fascinating that these young men were talking to me about it because it's like, oh, it's not like a feminist thing. It's like a, a God thing, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, it was my summer break, so I had all this time, um, and I did Bible studies with them, um, basically almost every day. I was very quickly baptized because the whole be baptized immediately thing. Um, I remember when I, I was texting my sister, like, I'm about to go get baptized, and I was all excited, and she's like, wait, what? And she, like, quickly called me. I was like, what are you doing? And I was just so like confused by her response. But of course, when I told my, um, the, the girl, I guess I was studying with, she was like, this is a tactic of Satan. This happens to everybody. You know, whenever you're trying to put your, put God first, you know, Satan and all of it for whatever reason, it made sense to me, like everything she said. And I guess I have to mention this because I know people are like, how can you fall into a cult, right? Um, but I mean, cult experts will say you're at a crossroad in your life. But it's, I was young. Um, and also like, I don't know, I don't really, I can't put it into words. Like me, myself, I was always raised to question. I was always raised to understand and like educate yourself. I was never raised in bigotry. It was like, you can love whoever you wanna love. Everyone is the same. As long as you're given respect, you should give respect back. Um, but all that kind of went out the door. <laughs> like once I started studying with them because it was like, I have to put God's word first. And that's what I did. And so I basically just kept going, going, going for the next, almost nine years of my life. Isn't it crazy how time just flies? Like you just feel like you got baptized and then it's like one day leads to another day, leads to another day. And then you just look back and you're like, oh my God, nine years flew by. How did that happen? Tony will very often say like, it doesn't matter if you're smart or like intelligent, talented, like you can get pulled into a cult. And the more that I hear her say that, the more I think it truly is like where you are, where, where, you, where you are in your life, like that crossroads and not about your intelligence. And actually you'd have to be more of an empathetic person in order to reevaluate your entire religious concepts at that moment. And so I, I do feel like if you grew up in a smaller um, world view, it would be harder for you to meet a new church family and say, okay, like I want to try that. That sounds really great. I think you do actually have to be more of a kind of person that would allow that to happen for you so if it yes. is like more empathetic and <clears throat> more willing to like open your mind to the world which is a good oh, yes. city to have like that and so therefore the people that are introduced to this and join it that's why you guys are also lovely I mean everybody that I meet has just such a beautiful personality and I think that's what that's what they are looking for. I mean, that that's why they focus so heavily on campus preaching, too, because it's like they're young. They already have their mind open to learning new things. And that's what I was told to me, like, oh, we should, you know, of course, they try to use the Bible as a weapon, like God said, the do of the youth. 
Um, but really, it's like these are young kids who are already studying. Um, I, again, I studied about a bunch of religions. And it's like, oh, this is just an, another new thing. I'm interested. Let me go check it out. But their minds are already open to it. And next thing you know, <laughs> you wasted your life there. Yeah. Right. So what was it like there for you when you were in there? You're baptized, you're going along, you spend nine years. What is your life like in there? I mean, in the beginning, it must have been good, right? You you must have experienced the love bombing and... Yes. And those I experienced the love bombing, which to me was strange, but at the same time, it's like these red flags quickly come up. But at the very same time, I'm quickly making excuses for them. Um, so it felt weird, but then I'm like, oh, I guess I'm just not used to that. I'm not used to, you know, I'm from New York City. I, you know, we're, we have a reputation of being standoffish for a reason. Um, but maybe I'm just not, it's me, it's me. Um, so a lot of the red flags that came up were always pushed to the back of my mind. Um, I mean, it was nice to be, I have to say the, probably the only thing I miss about it is that community like type feeling, right? Um, and I think that's probably what I was drawn to. Um, it was okay, but if I'm being completely honest, I, for most of it, I was miserable. I think even from early on. And I can't, again, I can't explain to you why I stayed as long as I did for me, it was, I have to do, everything was a temporary suffering for eternal salvation. So I have to do this temporary thing and suffer temporarily because eventually I'm going to get into heaven and my family's going to get into heaven for the efforts that I've made. Um, so I, I think that was the main driving point of me staying so long. It was like, it's okay, just endure, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to heaven and it's, it's going to be okay. So were you a single um, young young female is what they would consider you in there? Yes. Like a young adult? Yes. So were you preaching? What kind of things were you doing in there? Were you um, cooking I, or anything like that? I, so of course you go through your Bible studies and they want you to preach basically right away. Um, so although I was uncomfortable with it, I did it. Um, and then the more you're indoctrinated, the more you believe that the more responsibilities, aka blessings you have, is the more that you're making your heaven in, you know, the more effort you're putting towards your type of heaven. Um, so even though you're exhausted, you want to be part of every type of committee and you want to be in charge of whatever it is you can be in charge because what's bound on earth is bound in heaven. Um, so very quickly, I was on the kitchen committee. Very quickly, I um, my particular talent was teaching. So I studied, I did all my 50 sermons and I became a teacher. Um, and then when basically when 20, the world didn't end in 2012, I was like, okay, well, there has to be a reason for this, right? Again, <laughs> making excuses. There has to be a reason God is giving us another chance. So you know what? I'm going to dive even harder and work even harder for the kingdom of heaven to come. So then I was sent on a, a long-term mission to establish a church up in Syracuse. Um, and I was a team leader. And then when you're in a small house church, you're basically in charge of everything. So we were in charge of the kids. We were in charge of the cooking. We were in charge of cleaning. We were in charge of everything. Um, and so I, I did a lot. 
Yeah. I I feel exhausted for you. So the blessings thing to me sounds like a way to get you all just to do free labor. Is that kind of how they present? Oh, yeah. The more work you do for the church unpaid. Okay, for sure. But Lindsay, okay, <laughs> Joanne, Lindsay saw a, a little bit of the video of a play that we used to watch. I don't want to say the name of it. The play, do you know which play <laughs> I'm talking about? About, about yes. you know, the heavenly world and everything. And it was a play that we were, you know, shown over and over and over. I said, what did my eyeballs just witness? What is but that's happening? what we were taught, Lindsay. And like, so the more blessings that you do, like the more planets you're going to have. And like, you'll have galaxies and stars and like, you'll be in charge of all of those things. And it's really like put into your mind really vividly through, through those kind of propaganda videos. Well, at the end of that one, yes. I saw they said that mother gets really sick when she's preaching and she can't go to the hospital because she spent all of her money on the church. And I was like, yeah, guys, that's not good. That is so crazy that they're just like openly like she was so sick. She almost died, but she didn't have any money to go to the hospital. And like, that's so that, yeah, that's, that's her helpful. sacrifice. That's the whole that's thing. also part of the manipulation, too, because right. they try to make, make you, you feel, feel bad. bad. Like, look how hard she's working and she's God. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who's supposed to be working. I have to work harder. Can I ask you about 2012? Because, you know, that's put kind of a hot topic is, <clears throat> you know, we know that they were teaching that the world was going to end in 2012. And right before 2012, um, a lot of the churches were given like, missions you know to spread the news that father was coming did new york church do something similar to that or over there on the east coast did you guys do something like that yes so it was like okay it's the year 2012 father's coming we have to prepare the world to know right we have to save as many souls as possible so we were instructed at this time although i was baptized in New Jersey. At this time, I'm in the first Manhattan church. And um, basically, it was an announcement that we we need to reach out to the news and the media and just get this message out there. And you, in preaching in downtown Manhattan, you meet all types of people. So I actually ended up preaching to someone who worked at Channel News 12. And I think she gave me her card. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to contact her. This is great. This is going to be a great blessing. Whatever. Did you think that was a sign from God? Did you think that God had led you of course. to that person? Yes. It's so of fun. course. Everything right. is like a sign from God. Everything and they is were nice. probably so happy. Like, oh, Joanne is so blessed. Okay, sorry. Yes. So mm -hmm. even at this time, I was still considered young in faith. So of course, I had like my group leader that I was in contact with. And I typed up my message. And I'm like, you know, she's like, just make sure you pray before. So of course, I, that's what I did. And I was like, do you want to read it before I send it out? And she was like, no, I'm sure because you prayed, it's going to go well. Father and mother are going to take care of it. I was like, okay. So I sent it. Um, and then afterwards, I sent what I sent to her and to the pastor. And I was really so proud, right? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I sounded like a crazy person talking about the end of the world, talking about, you know, the seal of God and North Korea at that time was like testing missiles and whatever. And this is all happening for a reason. And because Father's coming and well, I remember it was a third day service and my phone is blowing up and it's the pastor and he left me this voicemail just basically berating me 
um, that I did such an evil thing, that I was so wrong to say the things that I said. So to me, I'm very confused because I'm only telling you what you're teaching me, what we all believe is true because it, quote unquote, it's said from the Bible. So I didn't understand. Um, but apparently he didn't like the way I worded it um, about speaking about North Korea or whatever. I'm like, but you guys are teaching this in your seal of God study. <laughs> so if that's not what you didn't want me to say, don't teach it in your seal of God study. Right. Um, so he was very upset. And my punishment for doing what I was told was to be sent to the Queen's Church because from my understanding at that time, I don't think it is now, at that time, the, the ones who were at the Queen's Church were considered the quote unquote rejects. Um, this was how it was explained to me when I was in Manhattan and I didn't really understand. It was like, I guess they didn't have the greatest faith or whatever. <clears throat> so because I felt like I was being punished, I fell into a depression. I'm like, God is coming. And I did probably the worst thing that I could have did. And I'm going to lose all my blessings basically. Um, so I fell into a depression. There was a point where I like, yeah. I'm so sorry. When he rebuked you. So when he rebuked you. And he sent you away, you really took that personal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like that because really it was like I did something wrong. Right. Yeah. Like I you, didn't understand what God was you never you know, God's felt will. Like, you never felt like why did the pastor yell at me or anything like that? You just automatically took it as yes. like you were yes. at dinner. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Um yeah, it is. Okay, <laughs> it's, sorry. Fine. it's fine. Um, um so I remember I just couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I went to work. I kept the services. I barely preached at that time because I was just so depressed. Like, I was just like, it's over. Like, it's over for me, basically. Um, but I think going to the Queen's Church was a saving grace for me in the sense that I realized why they called them the rejects. And it wasn't that they were like anything, having less faith or anything like that. It was they were a little bit, I would say they had more of their own sense of self. They were more outspoken. They were more, I felt like they were, they were themselves. They weren't robotic the way other members were. And I guess that's what I needed at the time. Um, and I learned then that it's okay. You can still worship God and you can still have faith, but you can still be yourself at the same time. Um, so you know, I wasn't depressed anymore. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn to be a teacher. And that's basically a way I learned to teach. Um, and yeah, that, that was that. But um, Joanne, I we've think heard a lot of rumors about <laughs> um, the East Coast and New York and Jersey and being very strict um, to their members, like a different type of level, almost like a military type of um type of culture would you say would you agree with that oh yes very 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 strict and that's probably why like I internalized a lot like I did something wrong because again when you're indoctrinated it's like we were sinners from heaven and everything that is happening to you is because you're a sinner so even though like everything is strict here or we're having limitations put on us it's because this is God's love 
and this is what's going to make us perfect in order to enter heaven. Um, but again, it was very, it doesn't make sense, right? It's very confusing. Um, <clears throat> so yes, they were very strict. Um, it was like there, it was hardly any interaction between brothers and sisters, right? Because they were so afraid of like people getting together, committing sexual immorality or whatever. But also they were also very, they tell you, don't be so physical, but they were so physical. It was like, you know, they like to use that verse where Apostle Paul was like, to win a Jew, you have to become a Jew. And to, so it was like, okay, we're surrounded by all these white professionals in, in New York City, you know, they, they dress a certain way. So we have to dress a certain way and they look a certain way. So we have to look a certain way in order for them to basically listen to the message. But again, it's contradictory because it's like, you're telling me that God is the one who opens the hearts <laughs> and God doesn't care what you look like. You know, God is the one who is bringing the fruit. So again, a complete mind fuck. Um, but there was a lot of emphasis on how you looked, especially for the sisters. Um, I remember one time we were having like this gospel worker meeting in Manhattan and the sister who was leading the meeting, she literally told us, don't show up if you don't have uh, lip gloss on or have your nails painted. And it was, you, you have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to be a certain size because again, most of the leaders are Korean and so they're very petite. And basically I can say, I, I did see that sisters stopped eating, mm -hmm. you know, and they lost an incredible amount of weight in a very short period of time because to them, it's not like this person's criticizing my weight and I'm being fat shamed to them, to us, it is, I want to bear fruit. I want to get that blessing. So if this is what God is saying, you know, to win a Jew, you have to become a Jew. Okay. I'm going to starve myself in order so that I can look a certain way to get a fruit. And I would have to say, yeah, me, myself, not in the beginning, not when I was in Manhattan, this was later on when I was in Syracuse, but it was like, you know, I, you start to look at yourself and I'm like, I'm the only one with thighs here. I'm the only sister who has thighs here. I, I can't, you know, so yeah, I, I fell into an eating disorder. I was purging my food, but I think it was also like, I had no control over my life. I had nothing. And this was the one thing that I could control. This was the one thing that I can, you know, because you're not eating properly, you're not sleeping properly. So of course you're gonna put on weight. Um, so it's like, okay. And then, yeah, I would say in that mindset that I was at that time after purging, I felt like oh, a sense of relief. Okay. Now I have the energy to keep busting my ass for the next 12 hours out of my day. You know, do you think if the, did the church know, or, or if they did know, do you think that they would, uh, discourage you from it? Or do you think that they'd be like, good job. You're doing what you need to do for God's love. It was mixed because especially with the sisters, we're with each other all day, every day. So you see it, right? Like I don't need to be in the, you know, in the room watching you not eat. I can just see like, damn, you were this big last week and now you're this small this week, you know? Um, but I remember um, God, the mother, quote unquote, she had give, delivered a, a sermon about 
eating disorders and how you should eat um, and be healthy and those types of things. And when we first watched this sermon, we were kind of confused as to why she was um, giving this sermon. But um, they were saying that, oh, in Korea, you know, there's so many people who don't eat, so many people who have eating disorders because that's the style of beauty in Korea. But I think it was because they they saw what was happening to these sisters and it was like, okay, get yourself together. Um, but again, it was so contradictory because then some sisters would try to go to the gym and be healthy. And then pastor would be like, you have time to go to the gym? You should be preaching. Why aren't you preaching? If you want to work out, go preach and walk for however many miles. And that's the way that you work out. Um, so again, everything was just a mind fuck. Um, I don't know a lot about eating disorders, but I do know um, that what you said is probably accurate about control, like wanting to have some type of control over your life because, you know, we pretty much submitted everything to them, you know, and they had total control over everything. So you were just, so after nine years of just going, 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 what happened? Um, again, there were so many things that were occurring that, again, are red flags. You kind of just push them to the back of your mind. But after a while, and I think you explained this really well when you were explaining the bite model, after a while, your true self starts to come up. Like, you try to suppress your true self, which they refer to as your sinful nature. I can't even tell you how many times it was like, sister, get rid of your mind. You know, like get oh. rid of your simple nature. <laughs> yeah. and what kind of mind do you have? Did they say that? Yes. What kind of mind do you have? Yes, yes. Um, and um, I, I don't know. It was just these things. It was like, oh, can I make excuses for these things anymore? I, I don't know. Um, you know, like they were so controlling in the sense of they would say things like, um, that even if you think it's wrong, and even if you know it's wrong, if a leader is telling you to do something or asking you to do something, just do it because you're going to be blessed for your obedience. But again, for me, as a, as a teacher and as a team leader, I felt a sense of responsibility over these members. So for me, I think also that was probably why I was so drawn to a religion that was so legalistic, because I feel like whatever... I'm, I'm very firm in being just and fair to everybody. Um, but I feel that that is very, very dangerous thing to teach your members. It can be very deconstructive um, and who knows what it can lead to, right? Um, so I remember we were having like this gospel worker meeting. Um, this was when I was in Syracuse and um, the, I don't think she was a deaconess at the time, but she was married to a deacon. <clears throat> And she was teaching us about obedience. And she's, she goes, she points at her brother. She's like, brother, if right now uh, Deacon tells you, here, smoke this cigarette, what would you do? And he's confused. He doesn't know how to respond. And she's like, you smoke the cigarette. And all of us are kind of like, did she just say that? But this is what she is teaching us. And I can see, in, again, it was very, um, we preached a lot at, 
the university there. So it was a lot of college kids. And I can see in their mind, they're like, yeah, yeah, this is right. This is what we should do. And I just felt compelled to be like, um, sister, I think you got that wrong. You know, I, I think in that instance, I would probably call pastor and let him know. And then he can speak to the deacon. But because again, we're being taught that if you smoke, you're desecrating your body. It's no different than sexual immorality. So what, what we're being taught and what's in the Bible and, and all of that is just directly pitted against one another. And again, it makes you not have any like trust in yourself, you know, like, do I really understand obedience? Do I really know how to behave in this type of situation? Um, also, like, and that would have been after you had emailed the the news the news reporter, thinking that you're doing this great thing, and so you probably already felt a little bit like you weren't understanding what they were teaching. Did, yes. Back to just that out of curiosity, did that person ever email you back or like call to do an interview? No. Nothing no, ever. because again, I think I sounded like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but again, and I think that's why I struggled internally a lot because it's like also as a teacher, it's my job to understand properly so that I can teach properly. Um, Curious. Did you enjoy teaching the Bible? I did. I did. Yeah. Some people um, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was a fulfilling experience, you know, to feel like yeah. you were teaching people the way to salvation. You know, you yes. felt like you were God's angel doing God's work, holy yes. work. It's very yes. serious. So, but, wow. but frustrating. <clears throat> I imagine that is so frustrating to, to be searching for that intellectual connection and not being able to find it and feeling like something's wrong with me that I can't figure this out. Not that it doesn't yes. make sense just as a doctrine. Like that's what was yes. really happening was these pieces don't fit together anymore. And being gaslighted yes. and all these other things. The less yes. expense. And yes, when you get to that level, then the teachings of it's your fault. Um, yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Like I said, it just, it really took a toll on just my whole mental, um, because then even um, after 2012, when a bunch of people left because the world didn't end, there was this teaching of you don't know who's a true brother or a true sister. You know, even in Zion, there can be false brothers and sisters. So then at that time, even more so, we don't trust one another. And I think they do that to make sure that we're not being close with one another and, and talking to each other about all these red flags that are coming up. Um, I think if, you know, members did get together and talk about that, they called it bad yeast and gangrene. And if, you know, you're bad yeast and you have gangrene, what do you do? You got to cut it off. So what about the yeast? I forgot mm-hmm. about how they talked. Because, you know, there's a verse, I think, in the Bible, right? That Jesus talked about like a little piece of yeast. Yes. That it makes it like way through the, the whole, whole batch. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's I like if there's this that. one bad brother or sister, they have to be cut off. And that's why, like, when people leave, they don't hear back from the members. They're completely cut off because. Was there and again, battle tailing also in um, the East Coast, like members telling on each other, people would tell the group leader, people would tell the deaconess or the pastor. 
Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I I was listening, you know, to Amani's interview, and she she was so sweet. She was like, you know, I wouldn't give you know tell that sister secret, but I'm like, mm-hmm. for me, yeah. yeah, I did it. I did it yeah. because again, they weaponize the Bible and they weaponize everything that t- they're teaching. So it's like, do you think you're better than God? You have to bring it to the leaders so that it can be brought to God mm-hmm. and then God will take care of it. But if you keep it to yourself, it means you think you're better than God. And <clears throat> so of course you don't want to, you don't, the, your biggest fear is to jeopardize someone's salvation. Right. So it's like, yeah, I have to tell on, I have to tell this is your secret so that things can get better for her, mm-hmm. you know? So like so that she can be blessed and <clears throat> her sin can be, you know, helped and everything. Right. But then they also them. use it. Yeah, but then they also use it against that person. Yeah. So like if a sister would come to me and be like, oh, I really have a crush on this person. I really like this person. I want to have a boyfriend. Then I would tell, you know, the deaconess who would tell the deacon who's delivering the sermon. And then in the sermon on Sabbath day, he's like, do you think God wants you to have a boyfriend? And then the sister's thinking, oh my God, God listened to my prayer. Yeah. God is truly speaking at the church of God. You know, like <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And they just fuck with your mentality. They do, yeah. It's just so uh, it's so bad. You have but a yeah. really interesting preaching story that we are really um excited to hear about. You know, the church has been accused of human trafficking, which we've talked about a little bit, right? Lindsay, how we talked about that a little bit? I don't know. I don't know that we've ever like explained that, but I think this would be a good time to, to do it. We we really don't like to talk about stuff until we've actually met somebody who's had firsthand experience with that topic. So I don't know that we if we've touched on it, we haven't gone into detail because we've been kind of waiting to actually like um, confirm some of the stuff that we've heard. So I can say it is a rumor, right? Like we're not human trafficking, right, even right. though when you think about it, we're we're basically performing free labor, right? Um, but we're not like <laughs> human trafficking. <laughs> we're not like they weren't like stealing people off the street and then they right. never saw their families again. Right. But it was a rumor that was started. Um, I don't know where it was started, but it it spread like it made its way up to the East Coast and. Um, this one particular day, um, it was a preparation night. So it was a Friday night, um, and I was with one sister who I was living with, and we had stopped at Walmart to just get like, because of course we everything came out our pockets. So even like the breakfast items, we we paid for, right? Um, <clears throat> so we were stopping at Walmart to just get breakfast items for the next day, and she wanted to stop and preach to this woman. Now again there was a lot of emphasis on our physical appearance and they didn't want you to preach to anyone if you were looking like a hot mess. But again, <laughs> we're compelled to preach all the time and save a soul wherever we are and God is gonna open up their hearts and their minds, whatever. She wanted to stop this woman. We stopped her, we asked her if she ever heard about God the mother and she quickly was like, no, and just walked away. And we were like, okay, whatever. We went about our business and the next day, that Sabbath morning, um, the deacon, he just puts his phone in my face and he's like, who's this? And it's a picture of me and the sister with our shopping cart 
And I thought he was joking. Like, why, ew, why are you being a creep and like walking around Walmart and taking pictures of us? And he, he was like, no, this was posted on someone's Facebook saying that you guys were trying, were human trafficking and whatever, whatever. And I'm just like, what? I was so confused. <laughs> and I basically, he was like, yeah, it was posted. And basically it was like, almost our fault because we weren't dressed properly and we shouldn't have approached her because now look, the, this picture, it just makes us look so bad, right? And I'm just like, okay. Um, but it spread pretty quickly. And Syracuse is not a very big town. Um, so it spread very, very fast. There was another, they also posted like another sister's number on there. So she had people like blowing up her phone and saying all these nasty things. And I guess that's how um, we found out about it because at that time, <clears throat> while they said it was okay to have social media at this time, we were still kind of like not on social media. Um, so I would have never known, um, but she found out and she told the deacon. And um, so basically from this point out, I'm known as a human trafficker, right? Um, and basically the whole town knew about it. My job wanted to investigate us and see if we were trying to human traffic people at my job. Um, were we preaching to people and soliciting at my job? And it was, it was just crazy. Um, Coast have the like traveling baptizing vans? Cause we've talked with Chad about that. Um, in Denver, they had those where you could go like right on site and get baptized. And so we've kind of joked about how that could be perceived as like very creepy. Like if you don't understand what the church is doing um, and maybe too in California, I think they had them, but like come on into the van and come change your clothes and be baptized. It's yeah, not, I'm sure but, that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look great. But the thing is, is that she lied and she said that we were in the parking lot of the Walmart and we were trying to get her to come into this van. But that's not true. We were inside the Walmart. I'll never forget it. We were in the frozen food section and that's where the picture was taken. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, and I like, completely there's a photo of it. <laughs> yeah. I completely forgot, too, that also in the comments, there were other pictures of me like at the mall and people were taking pictures of me at the mall when I was preaching. Um, and, you know, some people had enough sense to be like, she doesn't really look like she's preaching. She looks like she's just sitting down having some frozen yogurt like, you know. Um, but again, it was just it was terrible because the investigation of my job, um, all these terrible messages that were put in, we were getting death threats like, oh, if I see you at that Walmart, I'm going to come with you at a with a bat. And it was just. And confusing. Oh my God. Did the church try to help you? Did the church say, hey, let's get this picture down and let's help our sister? Is that what the church did? Of course they did. No. <laughs> and it was weird because they we knew that they were out there suing people, right? For quote unquote defamation of character. We knew right. that they were out there trying to um, sue Michelle and whoever else was speaking out against the church. So I was confused because I thought they're going to, you know, they're going to, you know, put a lawsuit against this woman too. And they're, they're going to have my back. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have my back. They're going to do something. And they were like, oh, we messaged her, but she won't take it down. And, but I really feel like because her post didn't say anything about God, the mother, it didn't say anything about the WMS COG. They weren't all that concerned about it. 
basically. It was just these two girls who look like crazy people trying to invite invite someone to a Bible study group. <clears throat> Which is so confusing because that is what, no, no offense to your past selves, but that is what mm-hmm. you guys always do when you're preaching out in public like that. You guys didn't right. do anything different or anything wrong. It was just this lady took it incorrectly and posted it on social media. But like, right. Every other day, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. That's what they encourage you to do. So for Exactly. It seemed that way because we weren't dressed properly. I was like, you know, maybe there's something I'm not understanding. And this is way, God's way of teaching me something because everything's a test, right? God is testing you. Everything's a test. Um, but I did feel like they didn't have my back. Um, only one of my coworkers like reached out to me and was like, hey, are you okay? And that kind of like sparked something like, wow, they really don't care. And of course, that whole Sabbath day, I was supposed to just keep on with a smile, keep on teaching, keep on doing what I was supposed to be doing, even though internally I'm like, oh my God. So she kept this picture up for about six days and I just didn't know what to do. I know. Mm -hmm. I have a quick question. So for those six days, because you don't have Facebook at that time. So no, I did. It was was like, um, what do you call it when a you're like kind of really... like a fake one, yeah, or like yeah, like, like I, I wasn't kinda... on it right, a lot, right, but like I was right. able to log in and see these comments. See it. And the sister that I was with, she read a lot of the comments. Like I knew enough to not read the comments, but oh, she was right. also younger and she read it, and I think it really got to her, and she was having like panic attacks. Mm, you know, I think we scary. we were both like talking about it, yeah. and we were like, why it, why isn't the church doing? Somebody anything? could follow you or something, <laughs> yeah. or like yeah. if they have your face and they had phone numbers and stuff, like that's, that's oh yeah, well that's the thing. Someone did recognize her and put like her first and last name, oh. put where she worked on there. You know, so it was it was really bad. <laughs> yeah, and um, so I just didn't know what to do to get this picture down, and I do have to say that. The whole, at this point, I was probably in the church eight years. Even though inside I was like depressed, I was overworked. Whenever I spoke to my family, it was like, oh, everything's great. You know, like you guys should come to church and have a Bible study because I didn't, again, I didn't want to somehow affect their faith and their salvation. I was working for their salvation as well. Even if up until the last day, they never came to church and got baptized, my efforts were somehow going to save them. So of course, I always painted that I'm doing okay, I'm great and all these things, but I just couldn't like hide it anymore. And so I called my older sister and I'm crying and I'm sobbing and I'm like, I'm so sorry because I don't mean to bother you. And you know, I didn't want you to think badly about the church, but this woman posted this picture of me and she said, she said these things and my job is, you know, like threatening me. And I just, I don't know what to do to get her to take it down. And she was just like, you know, for me, I, I, I think I didn't think that she would step up because I basically had, you know, really rejected my family for a really long time. Like, it wasn't like I was talking to them every day. I was just, you know, talking to them once in a while. It's like, oh, you don't want to come, then fine, you're, you're Satan. You know, um, so I really kind of like put them on the back burner and I do feel like I abandoned them. I know like, I feel like I probably abandoned my younger sister and she probably felt that way too. Um, So I just didn't expect them to show up. But what I have to say to those who may be thinking about leaving and maybe feel like, oh, my family's gonna reject me. No, they're gonna be there. 
like when you least expect it, they're going to be there for you. And so she's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'm going to handle this. <laughs> and then that very same day, I think she her and a couple of her friends just like basically shamed this woman like, you know, you're you're making these young ladies look this type of way and they're getting these death threats and you're basically lying about them and look what you did. Shame on you. And she eventually. Oh, yeah. Took it down. Yay, yeah. go sister. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It was it was and I again I think it was something that needed to be done because here's this church that says we're your true family and we'll always be there for you. And they were not. And then they say all these terrible things about your family, like, oh, that's not your true family in heaven anyways. And you know, Satan is using them, so they're Satan. But they show up. She was there, like. You know, it, it didn't matter that I hadn't been in contact with her. It didn't matter that I basically missed the birth of her first child and all those things. She was she was there for me, you know. That's because we love you yeah. guys and we miss you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I just I feel like I just have um, chills all over because I just I understand what you're saying so much. Like you didn't know, you know, like because you just feel so sad that you've you did abandon them for all those years, you know, I mean, it's a lot of years. And like you said, how many, um, you know, birthdays you missed or funerals or, you know, weddings or all the things and they just pile up and you just feel so sad. And, and I've heard a lot of members that are afraid to talk to their families and reach out to them because they're like, you know, all the shit I put them through, but don't be afraid. They'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so so beautiful. Yeah, but when I left in, in 2019, I still thought that this was the true church, right? I had just basically given up on myself and just felt like I was never going to be good enough for heaven. Um, so it still took me like another year to know that I was in a cult. And once I came to that realization that I was in a cult, I did reach out to my younger sister and I was like, I'm so sorry because you guys were right and I abandoned you. And, you know, we had a really long talk and she was like, I'm just happy that you're out and you're happy. And, you know, she forgave me, which was great. <laughs> and But I still never really got around to having that conversation with my other two sisters that I'm really close with. Um, so I just wanted to let them, this would be like my coming out story <laughs> to them to let them know, hey, you guys, you were right. I was in a cult. <laughs> Um, but I'm really, really so thankful for all of them for being there for me. I mean, I, if, if, and I'm sorry to go there and be so dark, but there was a point where I was like, I'm going to kill myself because there's no point of being in the world, right? I can't go back to the world, but I'm not being successful in obtaining salvation. So I should just kill myself. And that was really my thought process at the time. Um, but I don't know. I, I think when I was in Syracuse, I was like, you know what, first, let me just ask, you know, my sister if she'll let me move in with her. And then I'll just try and start over at a different church. Maybe it's just this environment, you know. And I was like, but if she doesn't let me go live with her, I think I'm just going to off myself. And oh, she so did. Funny. She was like, yeah, come, come. I would love yeah. to have you come. And oh. I don't think she realized that she saved my life just by mm. being there. So, um, Franny. You saved my life. Diane was always great. She never um, really persecuted me. So she, I think she was always like very sensitive in that way. And not to use that term persecution, but 
she was she never was hostile like oh you're in a cult I think she was always concerned for me but she was always like okay well you want to come over for Thanksgiving or something and so we always had like that open communication with another so that's um, beautiful that's perfect yeah and then you know Marcy forgave me and she loves me so I love you guys <laughs> wow good job sisters isn't that yeah. I'm like crying yeah. isn't that so beautiful uh sisters are just so amazing Thanks. and yeah. it sounds yeah. like they did all the right things you know they they were just there for you you know and they were just patient and they waited and god it must have been so frustrating for them but but it paid off you know and now it look did. at you. Yeah. No, that's a really common thing when people leave these mind control groups. Of I mean, course we're confused. Definitely. Of course we're in a limbo. We've, you know, spent all these years being told, you know, these really scary things. So, so it's totally natural and totally normal, but and that sucks because that's so scary place to be in. So if yeah. anybody is feeling that way, we do have a new website and we have a resources page. Oh, that's true. We forgot to mention that's that. That's awesome. We do have, we're trying to like create a community where you don't have to be in that space alone anymore, you know? So go to the resources page. I mean, we're going to keep adding stuff if anybody has anything that they think we should Yeah, add. Joanne, we are so lucky that we had our sisters. Can you imagine? Because there's, you know, hundreds of people out there and they may not have any family, you know, and that's what really breaks my heart. And I think that's why a lot of people probably don't leave either. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Like you, you, you never really know until you try. Like if I didn't reach out to her, I, I don't, who knows where I would be, you know, but it was, it was a huge surprise to me that they were still there for me, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. Yeah, but no matter what your situation, you're not alone. We we have a great community outside. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so you go through all this. So when did this human trafficking thing happen? What year was that? Towards it the end of your journey. Then. Yes. So like all these things were happening that kind of was like a snowball effect of me leaving. Um, one of the other things. Um, so. I remember we were having a team leader meeting. I didn't leave the church probably till like one in the morning. I didn't get home till one in the morning. Um, And I'm talking to the sister, same one with the human trafficking. And um, I realized like I can't properly see out my right eye. And I'm thinking I'm probably just tired. Like, let me go take a shower, wash my face, go to bed and I'll, I'll be fine in the morning. But in the morning, it was still there, like, just like the very center part, like, you know, like when you rub your eyes, and you see like spots, it was just one spot in the center of my eye. Um, And in Syracuse, it snows a lot. Um, So it was a snowy day, I think it was right after the new year. And um, it was terrifying trying to drive to work because of the snow and everything's white and then just this black spot. But I made it into work. and I was like, oh, okay, I think I should just call my eye doctor. So um, he he told me to come in. Um, so I actually called up the deaconess, um, who was like the church leader, um, and asked her if she could drive my car. And she was nice enough to do so. Um, and my eye doctor's freaking out. He's like, we're going to send you to the eye specialist. So they sent me to the eye specialist. And he's like, oh, you had a stroke. Oh. 
And he said, they said it just so nonchalant. You had a stroke and you're going to have permanent eye loss. This is what (gasps) was told to me. And I'm freaking out. And again, the very natural thing was, what did I do wrong? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? It must have been something that I did. Mm. So I'm trying not to cry in front of this deaconess, right? And I have to go to the emergency room. And um, basically, I'm admitted. And they have to figure out why me, this, I was in my late 20s, why this young, healthy girl had a stroke. And again, I, I don't know if it was it was you, Tony, that mentioned it, like when you had to go to the hospital and they're asking, like, have you been under any type of stress? And I'm like, no, <laughs> everything's been fine. Like, what the like, hell is wrong with this? Like, um, <laughs> no, we were not fine. Right, Obviously. like I just got home at one in the morning from a freaking meeting. <laughs> yeah. But you don't even know. Like, you literally cannot even imagine telling the doctor that. Right. Like, how is he going to understand that I got home from a team leader meeting? Right. He's like, have you been under stress at work? And I was like, oh, no, but maybe. Anywho, um, so I had to be admitted for five days. And I think this was actually a Friday when it happened. So I kept my, I had to keep Sabbath service at the church, I mean, at the hospital So I basically had to like text her, you know, like when you're not at the church, they make you read like from one of Ansan Khan's books or something. So I have to text her when I'm starting, when I'm ending. I'm literally sitting on my hospital bed with my veil. (laughs) And like the doctor interrupts, he doesn't even care that I'm worshiping God at this moment. (laughs) And he's like, "Um, let's pick your vitals. (laughs) Oh my gosh, awkward. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it was a vacation, let me tell you, where it's like, although I'm hooked up to this EKG, they stuck tubes down my throat to take a look at my heart, all that, but it was a vacation. It was so nice to just be able to lay in bed and like, you know, in between the services, I'm like watching movies on my phone. I'm like, I haven't done this and I can't even remember how long. And it was truly like that detachment that I needed. And, you know, basically they were like, you're really healthy. There's no reason why this should have happened to you. There's no, like, they couldn't come up with a reason of why this happened. Thankfully, my revision, my, my, vision got better um I can see through both my eyes now um do you feel like your body just broke down I think so yeah after all that time stress pressure it just yeah because all this was happening at the same time the human trafficking thing with my job and all that all of this was happening at the same time and it was just I think my body was like you need to to have a break. So this is what I'm going to do so that you can have a break. Um, so with that, I was, the thought was more so like, I need to move back home. I need to be closer to family because, you know, I was five hours away from any of my family members. Um, and of course my, my sisters wanted to come up and I was like, no, I was really embarrassed by like the way that I was living because it was us sisters all living in this one apartment. And it wasn't like I had a mattress on the floor or anything like that, but I just knew it wasn't up to 
their standards and I didn't want them questioning like why is it like this here why do you have to live with all these girls you know like that type of thing so I was like no 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 don't come it's okay mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was always 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 trying to protect the church that I don't know I think early on when you're indoctrinated it's just like a natural thing that you protect the church you make it seem like your life is perfect and everything is fine and and all that but I was just like okay I I need to move closer to family the whole human trafficking thing. I called up my sister. She's like, yeah, move down. Um, <clears throat> so I still like went, I was still at some other church. I think it was, um, gosh, it was somewhere in Nyack, New York. Um, Nanuet, that was it. <laughs> and so they're very close to the head church in New Windsor. Um, and there was a missionary there and I met him and it was also very strange to me that this was the first time that I'm meeting someone that I thought was actually humble. He seemed like a very humble man. And I was like, damn, I've been in this church so long. And I think this only real humble person I've actually met. And I think that was saying a lot to me too. A whole bunch of little things. Like a friend of mine reached out to me on Facebook from, um, I knew him in like middle school and he's in the military. He's traveling all over. Um, and he's like, so are you happy? And I don't know why it hit me like so hard, just him asking me that question, am I happy? Because I couldn't answer truthfully. I lied to him basically, but internally I was like, no, I'm not happy. I'm really not. And I'm supposed to be happy because I know the way to heaven. I have salvation and not everybody can say that they have salvation. You know, like I'm supposed to be happy. Um, I did also forget to mention that when I was in the hospital, um, the sisters come, did come visit me. Um, again, I was admitted Friday and then, um, they obviously kept the Sabbath. And so they came that Sunday and, I later on discovered that one of the sisters was kind of jealous that everyone had come to the hospital to see me. And it was because the year prior, um, she was in the hospital because she had given birth. And we wanted to go visit her. But basically, the deacon was saying that we didn't want to encourage that type of behavior aka having babies um so we weren't allowed to go to the hospital to go visit her and only her team leader was allowed to go visit her now her birthing process was like a very she had a very hard delivery and um I think at the time, of course, I was annoyed. I'm like, I didn't ask to be in the hospital, you know, but then later on, I think about it and it's like, she had a hard delivery. She's also thinking the same thing. Like, you're supposed to be my family. It would have been great to have your support there. Um, And she didn't. She didn't get that, that support that I'm sure she was expecting. And so... She was hurt by it, and she basically was jealous that um, these sisters had come to the hospital to visit me. And it just reminded me that, you know, once again, there's just no human connection in this church. Excuse me, I burped. (laughs) Um, There's no human connection 
um, you know, like I remember that I when sisters did get pregnant, they would be so sad, like because I'm sure they felt that shame in in the church, like how can you have a baby when God is coming? Um, and I would have to encourage them and be like, you automatically bore fruit, you know, like you have automatic fruit, you know, that's gonna go with you to heaven forever and ever. Like this is a great blessing. You know, like I never wanted them to feel that way because I could see just how sad they were. And it's, you know, babies have always been like a blessing. It's like a huge thing, you know. Um, I remember sisters, again, physical appearance. They would come to me and feeling like they're just not pretty or whatever the case may be. And I would try to encourage them through the Bible. Like, you know, God said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Like, who cares what everyone else is saying or thinking? Like, God thinks you're beautiful and that's all that matters. And again, as a teacher and as a team leader, people came to me like, not even to me, but they come to church with anguish, mourning, sadness, like these very human things. And of course, naturally, they think of, oh, I should be going to church and this is, you know, God's supposed to heal me or whatever the case may be. And excuse me again. I am so sorry. I don't know what's going on. Um, But naturally, they come wanting and seeking something, right? Um, And of course, I was still young. I was in my 20s, my late 20s, and didn't really know. And of course, it's my responsibility to tell the deaconess and speak to the deacon about it. And they would be like, oh, well, just, just tell her to get over it. Like, is it some important for her salvation? Like, why does that matter? Like, it's it's not important. Does it pertain to her salvation? Then no. Like, but it's like you can't say that to someone who's clearly going through something, and there's just no understanding, no human connection. And again, it always confused me because they like to use that verse in the Bible where it's like God came to share in our humanity in every single way. And they would use that like when people would, you know, bring up the fact that God the mother had her own physical children and she got divorced. And so when those things started coming up, they justified it with that verse. Like, of course, she had to have children because she had to understand when other sisters have children. And of course, she got married and divorced so that she can understand how other sisters get married and divorce. And so they use that as a justification. However, we ourselves, although God made that effort to understand our humanity, we don't have to understand their humanity. We don't, we can't console them. We can't um, try to empathize with them. It was like completely discouraged. And it was very, very sad to see because again, People come with all types of heavy things on their hearts. And many times it's just like, oh, just overcome. Just go over it. You're a sinner. This is what happens. You know, this is what a sinner goes through. And you just have to be happy because you have eternal life. And that's it. And I don't know, just I was thinking about that and it sparked that memory. Um, so, yeah, it was just really sad. So I think at that time I was really trying to like not be a team leader, not be a teacher. Like I told them like, no, I I think I just kind of, I wanted to just be like a regular member. I I wanted to be like a law keeper, right? Um, 
but they were still like, no, we really, because it was a smaller church again. And they were like, we really need teachers. We need a team leader. We need someone to be a good example, like, please. And so I basically got sucked into it all over again. And I was like, no, I, I can't do this. So um, again, these are younger members. You don't want to affect their faith. I have absolutely nobody to talk to because even if I didn't, quote unquote, leave the truth, it's still very much encouraged that if you're no longer in that particular church, you don't have contact with that those members. So although I had been in Syracuse for maybe like four years and built a relationship with those sisters, I was no longer allowed to speak to them anymore. <clears throat> so I was feeling like really alone. I was still trying to like have my family think that everything was fine. So like I wasn't telling them anything. So I was like, okay, I really need, I need a friend. I just need someone to talk to. Um, so at my job, I came across um, this name and it reminded me of my old roommate. And I was like, she was always a good friend. Like she was always good to someone to talk to and I should reach out to her. And I was like, now that I'm closer to Jersey, like maybe we can meet up and have lunch. Um, so I did reach out to her and um, we just started talking and she was a great confidant and I don't know. It just kind of happened that we, we were kind of talking about like what we would be looking for. And, and that was another thing. Like I didn't want to preach to her. I didn't want to talk to her about anything church related. Like I just wanted to have a normal, regular relationship and a normal friend. So I, I think she knew that I was going to church. Like I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm getting ready to go to church now. But I wasn't like going into depth or whatever. Um, but you know, basically it was nice to have what we would call physical conversation. It was nice to just have like a normal physical conversation. So she was talking about what she would look in a potential partner. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could see, you know, this would be good, you know. And we were just talking about it. And I'm like, wow, we're really compatible. You know, like we're both kind of looking for the same things. And then one day I realized, damn, I think I have feelings for her. <laughs> you know, like I think I'm really starting to like her in that way. Um, so once I had that realization, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to hell. <laughs> like, like I already felt Aww. like I was on that way, even though I was in the church and doing whatever, I felt like I was just not doing anything right. And, you know, I was already kind of giving up, like, I'm never mm. going to be good enough to go to heaven. But once mm. I realized that I was like, oh. I'm definitely not going to heaven um, because of course the, the, the church does not um, condone homosexuality. Um, I know the general pastor gave a sermon uh, a while back about homosexuality and how it's wrong. And this is what the Bible says and yada, yada, yada. And it was really weird too, because I suspected that there were members who were, um, LGBTQIA. Um, but of course, to them, they want to enter heaven too. So whatever it is I have to do to enter heaven, I have to get rid of that. I have to cut off my sinful nature, get rid of my mind. Um, and Can I ask so, you a question? Had you mm -hmm. ever been in a relationship with a woman before? No, I had never been in a relationship with a woman before. I had never even considered a female before. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, when I think about it, I think for me, it's just, it's more so like on a personal level, level like getting to know the person and them intellectually and things like that. Because again, 
sisters, you know, it was a big blessing to be married and then sent off to establish a church, right? So this is something that's going on in sisters' minds. And some sisters would be like, oh, I really like this brother. I, you know, I have a crush on him. And I would be so confused. I'm like, we don't even talk to the brothers. How can you even have a crush on someone you've never had a conversation with? Like, how is that possible? How, um, how did that work with the arranged marriages then? So was it more like pushed on the men to get married to the to women? Uh, well, I, I really don't know because I, I, I didn't they really never interact with the men. They I didn't think, ever approach you like a pastor wasn't like, you need to start picking out a husband or. No, but I think it was because I was that like kind of like outspoken person and, and someone who quote unquote held on to her mind. I don't think they pushed for me to get married. I don't think they wanted me to go to Korea. Like, I, I never felt like I was good enough to go to Korea. Um, again, I am, I have hips and, and things like that. And I, even though it's not like we're walking around showing our breasts or anything like that, right? But it was very much so like, you have to protect the brothers and you can't be a temptation to them. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm not doing anything. And I was constantly criticized for like anything I did. And I remember it was like a really hot day. And, you know, I think we were cleaning or something. And I kind of like just rolled up my sleeve. And the same sister who was, who was telling us to smoke at the deaconess, but <laughs> she's like, you know, you can't, you can't show your shoulder. Like, what? think about the brothers. And I was like, sister, if he is tempted by my shoulder, I think that's a him problem and not a me problem. So because I would respond like that, I don't think they really wanted me to like. You wouldn't have made a good wife. Yeah, I wouldn't have made a good wife. I wouldn't have been like a good deaconess or anything like that because I just had my own mind or whatever. That's good. Uh, That's a good thing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You can Um, see that happens in other religions because that is like a very typical like yeah. women are supposed to hide their sexuality. And when we were in service, we had to put a scarf on our knees. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you didn't have a scarf, and if you didn't have an extra scarf to give to a new sister, you weren't prepared for service. You, had to, cover, right. you had to cover your knees like you had a skirt on. If your knees were yes. short, you had to keep them covered. Wow. Yes, yes. Yeah, you couldn't show your knees. Wow. Except we were encouraged to wear these pencil skirts as opposed to pants. So it didn't make sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> then let me wear pants. Yeah. You know? And nylons. So many nylons. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> never do that. See, every time I talk to somebody, I find out something really <laughs> them. Yeah. That adds okay. like a mental image to it of you guys sitting there now with scarves over your leaves. I know, but hold on. I want to mm-hmm. go back to her love story. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so then. This right right now. <laughs> so then you guys just like reconnected and. and um, yeah. And so did she help you through, you know, coming out of the club? Um, well, first I had to like awkwardly be like, hey, um, I think I, I like you. <laughs> right. And she was like, hey, I think I like you too. And Aww. I was like, okay, cool. So <laughs> at this point it was like, okay, I'm, I definitely can't go back there because I will never be accepted in this church. Um, and who knows if they'll even let me keep the Passover, right? Um so I had stopped going um, officially in March of 2019. You know, we started dating pretty quickly. And I told her, like, 
and even afterwards, when I told my family I wasn't going back, I was like, you know, I, I still think it's a really good church. And if you guys want to go and get baptized and, and keep the Passover, I would encourage you to do so. I didn't tell, well, I did tell my one sister, like, um, you know, the church would not accept me or whatever. And she was like, oh, that's unfortunate. But I, you know, to her, it was like, I was coming out. She's like, thank you for sharing that with me. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. Like, again, I was not raised in bigotry. So as soon as I realized this is who I am, this is who I am. And I'm not going to sit there and, and pray the gay away because I know that that's not, that's just not ever going to happen. It doesn't work that way. You don't choose to be gay <laughs> and you don't choose to be straight. You just like what you like. Right. Um, but she thought I was coming out. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, we we started dating pretty quickly and I was telling her about the church and like still trying to keep Passover or whatever. Um, and she was like, you want to watch this documentary with me? And it would be like a documentary on cult. <laughs> <laughs> And I would sit there and be like, huh, um, their tactics are, they sound very familiar and they seem like the exact same thing that happens at the WMSCOG. And I'm like, was I in a cult? And it, it, it took me like a whole year afterwards to realize that I was in a cult and from all these documentaries that she, she would want to watch with me. Um, so, yeah. And she would get wow. really upset too, um, because I did try to keep the Passover that that year, and they were trying to manipulate me. Basically, it fell on a Sabbath day, so they were like, "Oh, if you want to keep the Passover, you have to come and keep the whole Sabbath day with us." This is what General Assembly said, aka Mother. And so I'm like, and she was like, "Don't let them do that to you." Like, you know, this is supposed to be the way to have salvation. Like, why? Why does there have to be a condition? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like feeling bad and going all the, through all these motions. I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I, so I basically, the deaconess I was in contact with, I was like, no, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Then as the date approached, um, was approaching, she was like, well, pastor said that you can come and keep it. And I was just like, wait, but you told me mother said I have to keep the whole Sabbath day. But now you're telling me, pastor said it's okay so it's like that doesn't make sense like I'm supposed to listen to mother above all else and this was something that I did um notice about this one particular pastor um this was not the first time where it was like listen to me don't listen to what mother said listen to me this was not the first time this had happened to me and it was just again another red flag where it's like um this is not right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take it out, but is that? Yeah. Yeah. He's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I think he liked just the attention because he was God's prophet, right? He's God's prophet. He speaks to God every day. And I, it was something I noticed when I was at the Queens church, you know, preparation day is almost as holy as Sabbath day because you're preparing to meet God that day. So we're cleaning we're scrubbing the floors. We're wiping down everything because, oh my God, I'm going to be in the presence of God the next day. So you have to prepare this temple. But what I noticed is that if they told us, oh, pastor's going to come and give the sermon tomorrow. He's visiting Queen's Church. Then it was like everybody went ballistic and was 
like cleaning 10 times more and preparing 10 times more. And then suddenly we had like, you know, for lunch, it was just easy to make sandwiches, ham and cheese sandwiches. But pastor's coming. Oh, my God, we're having bing, bing, bop. We're go- We're going to have, you know, and, and all that delicious bing, bing, food. Yeah, that takes forever <laughs> to cook. Yes, and all this delicious food. And I really felt like he reveled in it. Like he yeah. just, you know, he's a very small man, but he, he'd mm-hmm. come in like with his chest all up and he, I think he loved it. And yeah. it, I always found it strange because I always thought of that verse in the Bible where it's like the the poor man longed to eat from the, uh, the table of the rich man, something like mm-hmm. that, because it was just like, I don't know. I don't know. He's enjoying this a little too much. Um, But yeah, another red flag that I just pushed in the back of my head. Um, But basically, when she told me that pastor said it's okay, I was like, okay, this this is not right. This is another manipulation. And I was just like, no, it's okay. Um, So again, nobody reached out to me. She tried reaching out to me a couple of times. But then after a while, I just blocked her. I was just like, I need to move on with my life and I need to just be done with this. And once I realized that I was in a cult, that's when I started like watching videos. I went on the forbidden site, examining the WMS COG. And it was, it has been really, really helpful towards my healing. Um, Just like hearing ex-members give their story you know, once I realized like I wasn't the only one who felt like they were never going to be good enough for heaven, it really like helped me so much. I was just like, okay, it wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't just me. I wasn't the loser who like couldn't work hard enough for heaven. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it, it was a cult. It's a cult. Yeah. So anybody in there listening, which I can't imagine they're listening to this while they're still in, but if they are and you're mm-hmm. feeling that way, it's like kind of by design. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're probably a lovely person. Right. But the thing is, it's like, they say like podcasts like this or Jordan Hatfield's videos or whomever that they're the one causing people to leave. No, you're causing people to leave because Mm -hmm. you're putting these crazy, like unrealistic standards on your members when they should just be able to worship God. If they want to preach, let them preach. Just, let them be you know um and I do have to say like when I first left and I thought I was gonna die and go to hell or whatever I really really and not to say anything about those who do have like a terminal illness but I felt like I had like this terminal illness and that any moment I can die and it was very weird kind of like a euphoric feeling where it was like I started to appreciate life even more you know like I wanted to spend even more time with my family. And I I remember one time I was driving and I'm like, you know, if I got into a car crash right now, it'd be okay because my family would know that I loved them and I would die knowing that I had been loved. And it was, it was so weird. It was really, really weird that those first couple of months where it's like thinking you're gonna die and mm-hmm. whatever, it's so but weird. Like also <clears throat> feeling freedom for the first time in so many years. Like, yeah, but you really just terrified. don't know what to do with that freedom. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really scary. Like, freedom yeah. is really scary, really lonely. You don't know what to do. It's yeah. it's a very dark place. But look at you now. You yeah. are thriving, girl. Yes, I'm thriving. I have a great job. And 
I'm married now. Um, I married my wife and we're very, very happy. We just made six months yesterday. <laughs> wow. She six sounds so married. amazing. <laughs> yeah, she sounds so like she great. also, she sounds like she also did all the right things, you know, being patient, oh, yeah. listening and not judging. Yes. She was completely patient and supportive of me. And I, again, I don't know where I would be if she wasn't with me to help me through that process and you know she waited that whole year for me to realize I was in a cult um what kinds of things have you found that you enjoy doing now that you're out um I don't know I just like being with friends and family I love to shop um my my wife and I we enjoy like trying new restaurants and trying new Mm -hmm. foods um we want to go and travel more now that you know the world's opening back up um well come on our way come to Colorado oh yeah she loves Denver (laughs) she would travel there for work and she has to go to Denver it's so great I'm gonna take you and and I'm just like okay I would love to go (laughs) yeah that would be amazing yeah yeah and I don't know, right now, I think I'm just now kind of focusing like on my career, like, okay, what do I really, because before you just had a job to tithe, to save money and, and give to the church. So I think now is like, I'm, I'm really considering, okay, what do I really enjoy doing? And while I love my job and they pay me really well, um, I, I think I, I, I work in acad- academia, um, but kind of like on the far side of it, I work in an endowment. Um, so I kind of want to be more in the academics. That's kind of been like my focus right now of just, okay, what do I want to do with my life? Like, really, what do I enjoy doing? Um, so I, I needed to give a shout out also to Marianne, who's been a great mentor to me and also a really good friend. Um, but I, I have to say like the, the church they're they're always saying like people in the world, you know, they're controlled by Satan. So they're so evil and they, you know, you would never have proper support if you left the church or whatever. It's like, it's not true. There are people out there who are genuinely good, kind-hearted people who you don't need to do anything for them. They're just going to be there for you. They're going to be a friend to you. And, you know, it, that's also been kind of surprising to to see um, on the outside. And so I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you, Marianne. <laughs> Making those connections and meeting people who just want to just want to be your friend and have no like ulterior motives, you know, they're not trying to take anything from you or, you know, use your your talent or anything like that. It's just so refreshing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, awesome. and I think I think it's also important to like take that time to like call up someone that you like my that's something that I really admire about my wife like she speaks to her mom and her sister every day and I'm just like it's important to just call up somebody have a conversation go to dinner with someone like you know sometimes we we're so busy we don't have time for that but it's it's really good to just make those connections and take that time to like really be in the moment you know but I have a book for your book club are you guys still doing book club yes <laughs> sure. Tony's being a slow poke about. No, I finished. I just finished. We actually, yeah, we needed to do that. Okay. What is it? Tell me your book. I can't wait. Um. So this was another, like, like this, all these things were happening that were kind of like getting me out of this cult-like coma that I was in. 
So uh, a coworker had suggested that I read this book called Educated. Um, oh. I was like, okay. And it was just so off, like very similar. Like the tactics were like, oh, wow. Um, but it, it, I think it was like on the best-selling list for a while. It's by Tara Westover. Um, and basically like her dad was another version of that. Um, what was that Waco guy? What was his name? Oh, the Branch Davidians, David Koresh. Yes. So I think he like really admired David Koresh. Mm. Was it what? what? Waco? I don't know. I, I hope I'm not mixing it up. But he basically thought that the government was going to be coming mm. after him too. And she was raised with this type of dad who controlled their lives. And um, she she never went to like a proper school. They were, they like never took them to the doctor and you know, basically her process of getting out of that and educating herself and all that. It's really good read. Um, I think you guys might enjoy it. It's a memoir. So mm. it was first coming out. I read that book too. And it was so, so touching. It was a really yeah. good, that's a really yeah. good one. I think it does yeah. a good job explaining um, some of the things that you guys all Let's do it on our next book club. Want to? And then maybe that's a great <clears throat> recommendation. Do you, do you have any final thoughts? Any final? I just, I am curious, um, and I, I wonder if you're, Tony, if you've ever been curious, like, about their preaching tactics now. Mm. Like, I feel like things are different after the pandemic, you know, like, for a long time, schools were closed, malls were closed, all those places were closed. So it's Can just you like imagine how... approaching somebody, like, going to Walmart and approaching somebody? Like, right. I don't see them we doing that. We don't play that, that anymore. Yeah, right. we don't play that. Like, six feet, people. <laughs> right. So Which makes me, curious. right, I wonder. Because my wife, she was um, part of like this entrepreneur morning group when the pandemic first happened and this guy was leading it and she noticed that, well, I think it was like a host and a co-host or whatever. And um, they always kind of like paused at 9 a.m. and be like, oh, we got to go pray. Huh. And and then she was like, oh, okay, whatever. They're They're religious, whatever, fine. Um, and then one time she was watching their videos and he goes, oh, by the way, this is sponsored by the Royal Mission Society Church of God. And she was just like, oh, my God. And we were so shocked. Like he and of course, he's saying that, you know, giving all these praises to God, God, the Father, God, the Mother and all this stuff. And, you know, it's getting a lot of views, like a lot of people watch this video and are like oh that's so great that you know god has opened up this door for you or whatever and i just thought it was so bizarre i'm like are they truly resorting to like using social media right because before social media was evil now it's like it's, we can use it as a preaching tool so it was just really i was i was shocked and we told she emailed jordan and told him about it and then he commented on the video and then they took his comment down <laughs> Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I I am very curious about their preaching because I just don't see how it can um how they can continue doing it the way they had been. So, no. and like their whole the whole seal of God thing. Like you can't tell me nobody caught COVID, right? Right. Like, right. Like so how do they explain that to their members because the whole point of the Passover is the seal of God is supposed to protect you from everything, pestilence, right. all that. Right. Um and so I'm just wondering how they're explaining that to their members right. too. <clears throat> but of course it'll probably be like it's your fault. 
When you when you left, was the seal of God still like a thing? Like you oh yeah you die in the church. That'll go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'll that will be there forever. That's so fascinating. And you guys never met anybody like personally who died? Oh no, no. I did. I, I didn't. But I think they, they always resorted to this person must have done something. So I also um when I was in Syracuse there was this one sister who invited like her best friend and they were both baptized around the same time. And the best friend got into like this horrific car accident where she had to be in a coma and everything. Um, and, you know, couldn't walk, talk, all those things, had to relearn all those things. And so then naturally the other sister's like, well, I thought she was supposed to be protected because she kept the Passover. She's you know, and they made it seem like, oh, well, she must have not had correct faith, basically. Like, it was, it was her fault mm. that this happened to her. Yeah. Wow. Oh, See, Lindsay, a- in the beginning, they told <laughs> us that nobody had died. Um, but then over, you know, all the time that I'm there, of course, people had died. And we actually had funerals in our church. But we were told that they were the great multitude, not the 144,000. And that mm-hmm. we would see them again, you know. So that doctrine, that teaching was sort of changed over time. That's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joanne, thank you so much for being brave, for escaping, and for, you know, just just speaking out, you know, is, is not easy. And so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing with us. I bet your sister you. be happy to listen. Yeah, I'm gonna let them know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sisters. Join Thank my club. Join my ex <laughs> sisters club. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Thank Joanne. I think that you should give them a boom. Yes. Boom, baby. <laughs> boom, baby. Boom, baby. Boom, baby. We're like, okay, I love you. I feel sorry for you. And she's like, I love you. I feel sorry for you too. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was convinced that you were damned to hell, you know, and like you didn't even care. I would love to post it because it's. You have to take that out. Take that part out, Lindsay. I will. I'm not going to be sued. Well, twelve ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already. <laughs> and I would have to take that out. I was just wanting to say a statement to you guys. I would love yeah. to post that video, but I can't. There you go. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. Let's start all over from the <laughs> You're hilarious. Ah. She ends like, oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs>